Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another segment of what it means to be a Christian. I'm excited about today as we start the second half of the letter to the Ephesians. Second half describing how we are to walk in this wonderful life that we've been given, this wonderful position. And again, I thank you for being here. I'm excited. Uh, Today, Christianity is being attacked like no other time in history. Um, People are absolutely angry at God. Christianity is being attacked. Uh, Satan is, is the prince of power of the air, the god of this age. He is, well, the whole world, the Bible says, lies in the power of the wicked one. And I saw a uh, a disturbing uh, picture the other day of, of uh, not too uh, long ago, there was a uh, protester amongst many other ones. And uh, he was arrogantly holding out a, a poster. And my friends, this is very, very hard for me to uh, talk about, and yet it is prevalent today. Um, a man was holding up a sign, and the sign said, If Jesus returns, kill him again. And there's a website underneath it uh, about the demise of Christianity and the hatred of Jesus. And yet we have such a wonderful position, such a wonderful uh gift of an inheritance of eternal life of a relationship and fellowship with our Lord that made the universe. Remember God spoke the universe and it leapt into existence. And I'm just excited again, brethren, to come before you and invite you to another time with me that we may sit down in fellowship and open up the scriptures and see what truly, uh, what it really means to be a Christian. You know, we finished the first two, or excuse me, the first three chapters uh, of Ephesians with our glorious position. And before I start, I just want to uh, make a comment. And uh, as I read this little uh, inscription that I've, I've wrote here, you put your name in here. Your name has been crucified with Christ, my Lord. I am risen with him, a new creation. And, and that's what we've seen, those, the, the position that we have in Jesus Christ in the first three chapters of this wonderful letter to the Ephesians that Paul has written. And now as we enter into the second half, uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6, we will emphasize, the Word of God will emphasize that walk, that what that position produces and how we would walk fully pleasing unto our Lord Jesus Christ. You know... Brethren, your profession should produce a walk. That is biblical Christianity. That is the Bible. When we see uh, anywhere, even the prophets of old, all the way back, a one who has relationship with God, uh, their life has changed. Their life has walked, uh, lived in purity, lived with, with confidence, lived with... Uh, just a a solid understanding of who they are and that life in Christ, that life that we have with God produces a walk that is diametrically opposed to the course of this world. 
we can't uh we'll be talking just a little bit about uh works uh versus you know faith versus works um but i just want to point out to you lord or that the lord was speaking through the scripture and so so many passages you look at joshua chapter 24 verses 19 and 20 where the the Joshua just completed the victory, and, and they and you know that famous saying that that so many people have as a decoration on their uh, you know doorstep or they have a plaque on their wall or whatever. And staying you know Joshua chapter twenty four, verse fifteen, we all have seen it one time or another. Uh, basically, what it says. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so the people, as the scripture goes on, I mean, Joshua 24, you can just listen and look at it later if you'd like. That's chapter, that's verse 15 of chapter 24. But then it goes on, it says, So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. And they go on to explain in the next verse how God has brought them up out of Egypt and showed great signs and wonder in their sight. And they preserved them and all the, the ways that they went through the wilderness and how that the Lord God drove out all the people before them, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. And then they said, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. Well, in the next verse, verse 19, Joshua said amazing things. to him, But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Listen to this. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then you will turn and do you harm, and so on and so forth. What Joshua is saying is a decision made to serve the Lord, one who comes to a knowledge of God and knows God himself, will produce a changed life. Jesus said it himself. They were either for me or against me. There is no middle ground. And if we're for Christ, he demands obedience. And he not only causes us to be born again, but he himself comes within the, by the Holy Spirit to live his risen, powerful life within us. There is no excuse for somebody that claims to be a Christian to stumble and live a lifestyle of sin in this life. And we see it so much. We see in Psalm 19, for example, the psalm that, that describes, uh, excuse me, Psalm 119, that describes the Word of God so eloquently. You see all through that chapter of being afflicted, going astray, but now coming to the Lord and keeping His Word and so on and so forth. We see passages such as Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, remember, where we're like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its, its fruit and season, just like Psalm 1. Uh, that does not know drought. We see the Lord Jesus Christ saying that, that, that the tree is known by its fruit. And let me read you in the Proverbs. Proverbs, the 14th Proverbs, the second verse says, He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. So we see through all, all throughout the word of God that mere profession out of the mouth should produce a walk pleasing to the Lord. There are a lot of people out there that, that claim to be religious or claim to be a Christian or claim to be that. But again, as we see in the Proverbs and so many other places, that if they don't walk in their uprightness, they don't walk a blameless and a holy life, 
They really despise him by the way that they walk. There's no middle ground. Joshua, remember our passage we read, Joshua 24. He's saying, if you really serve the Lord, if you really walk with your God, he is not going to tolerate you constantly putting one foot back in the world, constantly putting one foot back in these false gods and, you know, uh, of one type or another. That would be silly. It would be like a man going to a woman, yeah, I want to marry you and now you're my wife. But you know what? It's okay for you to, you know, commit adultery on me. And it's, it's okay for you to, you know, take our marriage so-so. No. When we are fully committed to our spouse in Christian marriage, we take them for life. We take them as our, we have no other rivals before us. And that exactly is what the Christian life produces. And so with that, that background, and we can prove that by the word of God, we, we need to be solid and understand that this is what God teaches in his word. And it's a comfort because we can know our God and we can know the ways that please him. And so with that start, I want to read the first couple of verses of chapter 4, and, and let's just get into it to see what this life as a Christian really is. You know, it's been said before that where the real thing is, there is always a counterfeit. You realize, brethren, that a counterfeit only exists because the real thing exists. You don't have counterfeit money because that's all there is. You have counterfeit money because there is real money out there. And God is so adamant about that his children would know how to walk and please him, but they would realize first and foremost their position and the great love that God has for them. And we have spent quite a while going through these first three chapters seeing what that position is. From the divine point of view, from what God views this Christian life, I want to take you back for a moment, brethren, to uh, the previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 11. Remember, it reads, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when we look at the Christian life from the divine point of view, from God's point of view, we see the perspective that he establishes the faithfulness of our position in Jesus Christ because of God's faithfulness and the wonderful truths uh, that it it attains to us. And it is a wonderful truth, our position in Christ, brethren. You know, before uh, we get started um, again in this fourth chapter, I want to talk a little bit about works. There seems to be a lot of confusion, even amongst some well-meaning Christians, as to the right place works is involved in our salvation. Remember uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians. Remember our glorious position, inheritance in Christ. And the last three, four, five, and six, are, are that walk and that life in that position. We talk about works. What does works have to play with, with salvation? Well, we know that salvation is of grace alone, in Christ alone. But where where does the works come in? You know, we, we I want to look at James chapter two and verses fourteen through twenty six, real briefly, 
just to uh, get a well-rounded view, because, again, the first three chapters of our study are this position we have, this glorious position. We didn't buy it. We didn't earn it. We certainly didn't deserve it, but we have it through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and it's solely and wholly of God. But yet we have these last three chapters, and what the Bible rounds out, that the one who knows Christ, who knows God, his life is going to be uh, producing fruit. His life is going to show forth to the world that not only Jesus Christ is alive and risen from the dead, but he's alive in me, and he changes lives, and he's coming back. So as we look at, at James real quick, let me just read and we'll talk about this real briefly, brethren, before we get into the meat of chapter 4 and, and the rest of the couple of chapters uh, on our life in this glorious position. In James chapter 2, starting verse 14, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, And one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warm and filled. But do you do not give them the things which are needed for the body? What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now here's a key understanding of this, brethren. Again, the last part of verse 18, I will show you my faith by my works. Let's go on. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Do you not want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you not see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot who was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's look at this for example. You and I say that we have faith in Jesus Christ, and yet we continue on in the same old lifestyle, in the same old sin, running our life as if there were no God. Does this prove the validity of God and our faith before our fellow men? No. It only produces mockery, ridicule, and sneering. And yet, if our faith in Jesus Christ is placed solely in him and him alone, then from that standpoint, brethren, the works start popping out. As we use that old illustration, as the the seed is planted and starts producing the tree, the fruit tree, the fruit pops out because the live sap is running through the tree that produces the fruit. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, remember, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, when we come to Jesus Christ, we've died with Christ. And as Christ was raised from the dead, we are raised with him through faith in the operation of God who raised him from the dead, the Bible says. 
And as he was raised from the dead, so are we. The the life of Christ in us now is that life-giving sap, if you will, the Holy Spirit, that person of the Spirit in us that produces the life of the risen Christ in us. He lives out his risen life in us, producing fruit. We are no longer the dead branch. We are the live branches. We are no longer dead in the flesh. We are alive in the spirit. So as we look at the last verse of of chapter 2 of James that we're looking at, so faith without works is dead. If I profess to have faith in Christ, and yet my life is nothing but dead works and death, that is my brethren, not faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to him as our Lord and Savior and receiving his life as our own of dying with Christ. I've been crucified with him. I've placed my hands into a loving God who has positioned me in his son. He no longer sees the Jeff Graham of the old life. He sees the Jeff Graham, the Christian, the new creation. He sees Christ in him. When God looks at me, he sees all the holiness and the whiteness of Jesus Christ. Wow. That is amazing. So you see that a true life of faith is going to produce the magnificent fruit It takes time, brethren. We walk through this life realizing that Christ now is our life. That the fruit that is produced is produced from him, the works of the Spirit. We see in Galatians 5, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Um, You know, that's that's a chapter that's so much misunderstood as far as we try to self-produce that. You know, we try as Christians to self do these things it is impossible because this is a picture of christ look at these uh at this it's in galatians chapter 5 okay we'll start at verse 22 it says but the fruit of the spirit is love he doesn't say the fruits he says the fruit of the spirit is love We see in in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's love. It's joy. Jesus said that he wants his joy to to be in us, that our joy might be full. Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He says, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but do I as I give to you. Peace. Long-suffering. We've often looked at long-suffering as one who bears under a load that hurts patiently. He goes on to say kindness. The Proverbs say that, um, the, you know, what, what's needful and wanted most in a man is his kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, the, you know, such there is no law. And then it, I'll end with this in, in verse 24 of that chapter of Galatians 5. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires it's death we've died with christ the bible says paul says in romans chapter six we've died with him know ye not that your man is old man is dead so faith not only comes by hearing but by hearing by the word of god 
But faith in Christ will produce good works. There are so many people out there that that have not the correct understanding of that, that so desirably wants to be a Christian and wants to live the Christian life, and yet usually within a couple years or maybe even short of that, it ends in frustration because they don't have the power to live that life. This life only comes from one who has a position, one who is born again. And that's the whole idea of what we're looking at here, brethren. The first three chapters of we have expounded that glorious position in Jesus Christ. We've been raised with him. We have an inheritance uh, that will not fade away. Peter says it's reserved in heaven for us. Uh, We have all the glorious riches in Christ. Um, Not only the fact that he chose us before in him, before the foundation of the world. He has adopted us as sons. He's made us accepted. He's redeemed us through his blood. We have complete forgiveness of sins. We have an inheritance because of Christ. And we can go on and on. He seated us in the heavenly places, remember, in Christ, above all authority and power. And yet this glorious position, this glorious standing in Christ with God produces a life down here that is changed, that produces good works and walks in a way that is pleasing to God. Remember, in the eyes of, of Scripture, if you will, uh, the fool is not a mentally deficient or deranged person, but the fool in Scripture is one that lives his life as if there were no God. Brethren, there are many out there that claim to be religious, that claim to know God, and they're living their life as if there was no God. And yet the Christian, the one that we've been going through the first three chapters of our study, one who has this glorious relationship, provision, and position in Christ, that very life is going to produce fruit. It's going to be different. We're going to walk in a way that's pleasing to our Heavenly Father. I hope that makes some uh, clarification um, you know, in our study here, it's so wonderful to know that our times are completely in his hand. And I think that study is going to go, or that uh, idea, excuse me, in the study is going to go as we go on. And we see that this impossible Christian life to live on a human level is absolutely possible, and it's the normal Christian life when it's lived when we allow the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit, to live his life through us. So again, with that, brethren, let's go on and read a a little bit down, and we'll get back into our study here and and just have some some wonderful time together. Um, I am amazed that the Word of God is so relevant to my life and your life today. So relevant. It is not an old set of documents. It is not something that we need to be added to. The Bible is complete in itself. It is the complete revelation of God himself to man. To us, these letters are precious. They are personal. They are filled with love because God loves you. So Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And before I go on, Paul, this is what regards one of the prison epistles. Paul was Nero's prisoner. You know, if for a moment, if I could take a little bit of liberty to talk about when Paul wrote the letter or the epistle to the Philippians. He was Nero's prisoner, and yet the epistle shouts of joy. This was a man who had been radically changed by Jesus Christ himself. The apostle Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus, a strict Pharisee. We, we've talked about this before. A man who, yes, was religious, absolutely religious to, to the letter, and yet was absolutely absent from a relationship with God. He did not know God personally, and yet he was very religious. And when we see when the, the Saul of Tarsus was changed into Paul, the apostle on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, we see a phenomenal change. A phenomenal change. Now, if Paul would have been able to do that before being a religious, strict Pharisee, he would have done that, but he was absolutely destitute of the Spirit, absolutely void of any kind of a spiritual power, absolutely void of God reigning in him through Jesus Christ, and now he is. He's born again. And we see, for example, in these prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, uh, Philemon, and so forth, that if we go to the book of Philippians, we see that the joy rings out. You know, and he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, I love what the old Schofield, uh, some of the notes that he said that the Apostle Paul in this uh, epistle to the Philippians, which teaches it's not something that's going on with around the Christian, but it is something that's going on within him. Despite circumstances, this epistle shouts with joy. And that's one of the prime uh, understandings and outpourings of one who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the joy. Jesus said it foremost, talked a lot about joy, that our joy might be full because of him. So he says that, that you would walk worthy, back in Ephesians 4.1, worthy of your calling. In verse 2, with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. We'll get to, at the end of this chapter, we're going to look at, at forgiving one another and being tender-hearted. And you know that's one of the main avenues of Satan getting at the Christian in the, in the church of Jesus Christ at large today is unforgiveness, being irreconcilable and so forth. We'll see that we'll see in the word of God that that is one of his major tactics because the Bible says we are not ignorant of his schemes. We need to know uh, what we have in Christ and how to walk. But he says, verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit. Um, the body of Christ is, is knitly uh, joined together. The Bible talks about uh, in love. And the body of Christ, although we have different functions, we, have, we, we are all the one body. And we have love for one another. When one part is rejoicing, the other part rejoices. When one part of the body hurts, the other part hurts. And we'll look at, at, at getting on to the next verse, verse 4. Some... Uh, Bibles 
you know, in the in footnotes, whatever, break this down as seven unities to be kept. But nonetheless, let's go through some of these. Verse 4 says, There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. That, brethren, is a distinct doctrine, the, the, uh, the singleness of Christ, the singleness of God. God is in three persons. He's a triune God, and yet the three persons compose the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't have time in this section to go through the Trinity. We will in later uh, studies, and if you go back on our website, you could see studies that we have talked about this before. The Trinity, absolutely rejected by the major cults and the major religions of the world. But the Bible talks about this. We see it, we can bring out passages in the Old Testament and, of course, the New Testament of unity. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, came to earth that he might not only show us who the Father is, but after he ascended, he said, I will come to you again. As I love you, will live also. And as he ascended to the right hand of the Father, they sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to live within his redeemed brethren. God wants us and shows us himself in his triune glory, Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet they are all the one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord, he is one the Bible says. Absolutely fantastic. So look again at verse 4. There is one body, one body of Christ, not two, not three, one body of Christ and one spirit. We could exhaust ourselves in the study alone, talking about the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He is a he has personality. He has come to live within us. He has come to show us Jesus Christ, to point to him. Not to not to have a separate show of himself. That would not be unity, would it? But to point to Christ and, and quicken our spirits. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit with our spirit bear witness that we are the children of God. And look at, just as you were called in, how many hopes? One hope of your calling. So again in verse 4, one body, one spirit, we are called in one hope of our calling. Look at verse 5. I love this, brethren, because this, this is biblical Christianity. This is how God chooses to communicate to us. And he gives us in love the intimacy, the understanding of himself. It's like I remember when I was courting my wife. I love to tell her the secrets of myself and disclose myself to her. And and, uh, and God does this with us. Did you ever think about that? The Bible's not just some dusty old writing that, that we'll do our best to understand. The Bible, to those of us alive in God and Jesus Christ, the Bible is his intimate relation and revelation of himself to us. Wow, let that sink in for a while. Verse 5, one Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, one Lord. You know, the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 testifies to the one true God. Not many, not as the Mormons speak, not as the Hindus have, not as countless of other religions around the world have, the one true God. And Satan is forever trying to get us away from that one true God and attach us to ourselves and selfishness and everything else and ultimately to lead us to hell. We have one Lord. How are we saved? We are saved through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. When Jesus spoke in his title of Lord, his title of Lord is the Aldenai of the Old Testament, Jehovah God of Eternity. We've seen that when we've looked at, remember our, our formula, real easy. Uh, this is just a, a, a tip of the iceberg, but if we go, th- we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, our creator as well as our redeemer. Remember John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and Hebrews chapter 1. We find in these three simple chapters that Jesus Christ who is the creator of all things. He's our Lord, one Lord, one faith. Oh, man, remember in the Upper Room Discourse in John 14, especially the sixth verse when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father but by me. I want to read you a passage too, brethren, that I just really want you to uh, think about, to memorize We have so many admonitions in the Word of God that God has given us that we can not only have surety and know beyond a shadow of a doubt the things that we proclaim, the things that we talk about to people, uh, and we know we rest upon again, and these will reveal to us. Remember what what Jesus said to Peter when, when he asked you know, who who am I? And Jesus said, or excuse me, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember how Jesus said, my fathers revealed this to you. Remember, we're looking at one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What Jesus said again about the one faith, you know, he claimed he is the only way. But listen to what the master said himself. In John chapter 6, verse 47, this is our verse I want you to memorize. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. He who believes in me has everlasting life. John 17, 3, remember uh, remember when Jesus was in his high priestly prayer, people call it. Um, Priestly, why do they call it high priestly prayer? Well, he was... A job of a priest was to be between the people and God. Jesus in this prayer was interceding for us. He was talking directly to his Father. Listen to what he says in John 17, 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He said, This is eternal life. Remember our verse that we need to, to memorize, John 6. Chapter 6, verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism.
You know, we've so often talked about baptism. That has been another. I mean, it could be a conflict sometimes in the church. I have I have seen where it is. But baptism. What happens in baptism? What happens when we become born again? What happens when we place our faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible says that we are placed in the body of Christ. How does that happen? Well, it happens by the Spirit himself who comes to live within us, places in the body of Christ. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says, but one in the same spirit works all things, distributing each one according to his will. Now listen to this. Down in verse 13, he says, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. One Lord, back in Ephesians 4, 5, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. There is only one God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is above all, he is through all, and he is in you all. God is so wonderful, brethren. You see why it's so important that when we come to the word of God, to open it and expectantly, reverently, and earnestly, Desire to hear from God, and he promises that he will speak to us through his word. We can come to God and speak to him freely in prayer. We have a free access. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We find in numerous places. Jesus, when he died, the the uh, veil of the temple was torn, not from bottom to top, not from the middle down, but from top to bottom, signifying that not only the Father split the veil open of separation, but that because of that, because of Christ, we can come freely to the throne of grace. You and I, brethren, as as Christians, as one born of God, we can come freely at any time in prayer and speak to God and pour our heart before him. And yet we can also come to the scriptures and open them up and desire reverently to hear from God. And you know what? He promises to speak through his word. His word is powerful. We read that it won't return to him void. We read that those that are in him are like the, the trees planted by the water, which bear its fruit in season. We could go on and on. We've talked about so many things. Uh, Jeremiah talking about the word of God it being the joy and the rejoicing of his heart. We talk about um, Job having, you know, desiring more than my necessary food, his word. We could go on. Um, what a subject and what a study that we should probably do in the coming uh, months. And we'll reserve that for a later time. Just what the word of God does. Wow. He goes on to say, but each in verse 7, each one of us's grace was given. Now, here's where I want to open up this section for about the next, oh, I don't know, uh, eight, nine, ten verses or so. This grace was given. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, we understand, okay, Christ's gift 
is not only eternal life, he gives us eternal life. It's the gift of God. Um, we read that in so many other passages. And yet here, the grace is also the benefits that Christ gives us to enrich us, to cause us to mature, to cause us to realize what we have in Jesus Christ, uh, and on and on. We'll read a little bit of these things, but each one of us, grace was given. You know, that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian, whether you're a a one who is out there and is well known, and, and or else, or there's one who is is just a plain person of God, if you will, like me. God gives us grace, not only in salvation, but as we'll see in different avenues, as different parts of the body of Christ. There is no greater in the body of Christ, brethren. Isn't that wonderful? You know, that has caused me to uh, rejoice and, and, and comfort me in so many times of my life. I am just a very simple person, and yet God can use somebody like me. And if God can use somebody like me, brethren, he could use any one of his children. I am nothing. I am just one who, who God loved with one who God sent somebody my way with the good news of Jesus Christ. God has given me uh, eternal life because he loved me and he sent his son to die for me. And I love him and I want to live for him. That's what I am. And yet I, I see here God was has given grace even to me, and not only in salvation, which is, is, is priceless, but to all other avenues, brethren, whether it's ministering or whatever we do as a Christian, let's read on. And the measure of it, by the way, is according to Christ's gift. Think of verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. By the way, that's from Psalm 68, verse 18. In the Old Testament. You know how many people are out there that, oh, I don't really understand the Old Testament. And I, You know, that really doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does, brethren. Yes, it does. It is very, very interesting to see how many times in the Old Testament speaks of Christ. The whole Bible is Christ. It's all explained in a wonderful uh, explanation I first learned from Donald Gray Barnhouse. The Bible is man's complete ruin and sin and God's perfect remedy in Christ. So when he ascended, that means when Jesus Christ uh, ascended to the Father. Okay, And you know, really quick, it's sometimes uh, beneficial to us to see uh, where these things, you know, in the Word of God. And I just want to give you an example, ascension. Where can we read well, a couple of places actually in the Ascension of the New Testament. We also we can read it in, in Acts chapter one, but we can also see it, which I like too, uh, in, in the last part of Luke. Okay, Luke chapter twenty-four, starting verse 50, 50, 51, 52, and fifty-three. Listen to this, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifted up his hands and blessed them. That's our Lord blessing. Um, People, as he ascended, or like I love what C.I. Scofield wrote in his note, he said, this attitude of our Lord characterizes his relationship to his people, listen to this, in this age. 
It's the attitude of the fullness of grace. He was ascending his, he was, he was giving his people blessing as he was ascending. Um, absolutely wonderful. 51 says, Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem. So when he ascended on high at the right hand of the Father, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Whoa, wait a minute. Let's look at this a little bit and just kind of reflect on this verse. You know, there's a lot of different interpretations. What happened to the Old Testament saints? Okay. What happened to those that died and in the Old Testament? Well, we're talking about, you know, David, Samuel, Jonathan, uh, you know, all the, I could go on and on of the prophets, Isaiah, all of them. Their sins were covered. And they, we can see a little bit of this understanding where they were at before the sentence of Christ in Luke 16, where, where there, was, there was actually, uh, there was Hades, and there was the, uh, the paradise of Abraham's bosom, which at that time were paradise. And so when the Old Testament saints died, their sins had been covered through the sacrifice of, of you know, the lamb and, and you know, the, temp, the temple and all that. Their sins were covered. They were placed in Abraham's bosom or, or paradise at that time, and they were comforted. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, their sins were not, the cover was lift off, and their sins were put away, done with, paid for in full by Christ. So now their sins were gone, just like ours, that we have died with Christ. When you and I received Jesus Christ as our Savior, he took our sins upon himself. And the resurrection was not only proof that our sins were gone, but that Christ was God's perfect sacrifice. See, a lamb, the Bible says lambs and goats cannot fully take away sin. They could cover sin. But when Christ came... He, he took on all the sin of, of mankind upon himself. So, so when the patriarch's uh, covering of sin was lifted off and their sin was actually atoned for and put away by Christ. And so when he, that's why he could say to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He now, no longer do we deal with Hades or do we deal with, with, with the, the Hades concept for us as a Christian. Right now, when we die, we go immediately into the presence of our loving God. Immediately. No cover on our sin. Our sin was taken away and atoned for by Christ. And so when he ascended, these, these, uh, these Old Testament saints in Hades, there was there's no indication of the Word of God that Hades for the unregenerate person changed. It's still there, but our position, the the bosom of paradise, or the Abraham's bosom in Hades, if you will, the account that we read so eloquently, Luke 16. Remember the rich man and Lazarus. Now, but that position for the believer in Jesus Christ has been changed. Now we die, we go immediately into the presence of the Lord because our sins were atoned for and put away. Look at verse 9. He says, Now this, 
he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth? Verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fulfill all things. I love that because he is not only the one who died and and led these captive people, if you will, that were waiting for the fulfillment to come for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as the as John the Baptist was saying. He came and he led them immediately to the presence of God. A lot of debate in that area. But again, we must take the whole of the Word of God and see exactly what is going on. You know, Sheol in the Old Testament is the Hades in the New Testament. Two different words, uh, two different Hebrew and Greek words, but meaning the same concept. Or as some translations say, which I disagree with, the neither world. And yet it was a world of all un, all the dead spirits went. Whether you were a, in death, spiritual death, you went to a place in Hades where the rich man did, he was alive and he was in torment. Or you were saved by the atonement, the atonement of animals and the rituals that God had provided, and you went to a place called Abraham's bosom, and you were comforted. And the Bible states, Jesus stated in Luke 16, that there was a gulf between the two. So there are two separate places. Now the Bible says that now, since Christ has died and, and risen again and ascended to the Father, now our position which would have been in the paradise of God, our position has changed. We go immediately into the presence of God. But nothing in Scripture is stated about the change of Hades, uh, conscious living in torment. Because those people without Christ that are dead in their sin and they die, they are waiting in conscious torment. They are waiting for the final judgment of God where they will be banished to a crisis eternity forever. Wow, grace, by grace we've been saved, right? But now, what about now? Now we're talking about when he ascended, he gave us gifts. Look at verse 11. He himself, the Lord, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning of craftiness of deceitful plotting. Now let me stop here before we get to verse 15. Let me talk to you about a little bit about what's going on today. Wow. Look at verse 14 again. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. My friend, there is so much doctrine going around. So much false doctrine. So much false teaching. So much uh, arrogancy and falsehood uh, that we have done several uh, messages on that. We've written articles on that. I have an article on my website stating... um, you know, false teaching, to be aware of that. And I've stated nothing but Scripture, what the Bible says, the New Testament, 
uh, from Jesus all the way through the apostles. Paul, as he was writing to Timothy, um, you can catch this segment as we talked about our true pastoring series, as Paul speaking to Timothy on his way out. Listen to what he says about this uh, this astronomical um, every wind of doctrine. And he said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, this is First Timothy four one, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. As my mentor Dave Hunt used to say, doctrines have uh, demons have doctrines. Demons have doctrines, and they are out there, and they are multiplying as the as the years go on. And the closer we get to the turn of Christ, they are fervently spewing out false doctrine and and wickedness. I want to read you something before we go on. I hope you gather my excitement about this, brethren, because. God does not leave us in the dark. You know that that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. But listen to what this is, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm starting in verse 14. He, he says, false workers and deceitful, uh, are, deceitful workers are transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. That's verse 13. Verse 14 of chapter 11 says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing that his ministers also transfer themselves as the ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You know, there are so much out there that is clamoring for people's attention. There's so many doctrines of demons out there, doctrines of devils, as the King James says, that are leading people astray. We should admonish, we should uh, pray for, and we should provide monetarily for the pastors out there that are faithful to their calling. We have a whole segment. It took us over a year to do on our website. It's called um, True Pastoring. And what we've done, we've taken from the, the epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And we, the, the, we've talked about these things. They are there for a specific reason, and that's to mature us. That's to equip us. Let's look at verse 12. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Again, back in Ephesians 4.12. To equip the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. This is what's so desperately needed today. The body of Christ is, is, is wearied. We're tired. We've been kicked around, dragged around. We need edification. We need... Uh, we need refreshment. And yes, our fresh refreshment does come from the Lord. But our refreshment also comes from edifying the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity. There is that word unity again. Remember? Back up a couple of verses. That uh, verse 3 of this chapter. To keep the unity, the bond of peace, and all the unities. Okay, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, and faith, and baptism. Um, God and Father, we've talked about the wonderful intimacy that God shares with us about himself through our through his word. So we all come to the unity, verse 13, 
of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, which which means perfect doesn't mean sinless. It just means mature, uh, one-minded, one-directional, mature, strong, vibrant in the spirit man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. He wants us to know our position. He wants us to know our relationship, what we have, the riches in Christ. Do you know that that Paul describes Jesus Christ as God's indescribable gift? We have wealth unimaginable. We are full of, of spiritual vitality. Remember, brethren, back in... The first chapter, verse 3, remember? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. So back in back in chapter 4, verse 13, he wants us to become uh, a, a perfect man, a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? Why? Why Why is God so desperately longing for us to know everything he has revealed about how much he loves us and where he has placed us in Christ and our position and our wonderful wealth? Because look at verse 14 again, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Remember back in 2 Corinthians 11, Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So do his ministers. There are a lot of people out there that claim and disguise to be ministers of God, but they are not. They are actually ministers of Satan. They are sent there by Satan. We are in a battle, brethren. We are in a field of rattlesnakes, so to speak, down here. When we get to the sixth chapter, I am absolutely anxious and rejoicing to get there because then we will see we will spend a lot of time talking about our spiritual warfare but yet the armor that god has provided for that by trickery of men and cutting craftiness of deceitful plotting verse 16 says but or controversially speaking the truth in love we may grow up and all things into him who is the head Christ for 16 from whom the whole body joined and knit together but what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love you know the Bible talks about chasms and people that go in and, and cause divisions and, and uh, you know They'll, they'll take a concept and they'll blow it up and they'll make a mountain out of a molehill and they'll divide the body of Christ and they'll, they cause division. And they think, and there's people that say, well, I have a corner of the truth and, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off and we're gonna, we're gonna have our truth, our little truth. And they're gonna have their little band of followers that separate from the body of Christ that claim to have some special truth that nobody else knows. Brother and I speak this from experience. I have seen this happen, offshoot out of my own ministry. I have seen people leave and uh, go and claim to have their own uh, truth and their own 
separate understanding that nobody else has. And uh, that's how cults get started, my friend. But we speak the truth in love so that we might grow up into all things into Christ, into him who's the head of the church. From this whole body, it's knit together. And every joint supplies itself according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Again, God sends the Lord when he ascended. He sends some that are apostles. Apostles, not only the 12 apostles that, that uh, ate and, and drank and saw the, the majesty of the Lord as he walked this earth, raised the dead, and they saw him crucified. They, they witnessed that he was raised from the dead. We see the Apostle Paul, the, the, the exclusive apostle of the risen Christ, being changed himself that started from, from the Old Testament uh, prophecies, and they believed them. They, they saw the Lord, and they saw them fulfilled in him, and to the New Testament where they gave their lives for their witness. Um, and also apostle meaning one sent. I believe that there, there have been those in the, in the New Testament times that have been sent uh, we see Luke, uh, for example, wrote the gospel according to Luke. He was not one of the original 12 apostles, and yet we see him being sent very authoritative. Some prophets, uh, prophets is one that foretells. It's a foretelling of, of the word of God um, that have, have explained, I believe, in these days, a lot of what the prophets have spoken of, and they believe they bring to light that open the eyes of of some believers that wow, these prophecies are happening now. You know, there's a, there's a segment today, brethren, uh, International House of Prayer, and other places that say now we have new prophets, we have new apostles, we have new revelations. These. Uh, 20s, 2,000-year-old scriptures, they're outdated, they're old. We need new revelations, and they claimed out these new prophets. My brethren, turn away from them, because the Word of God is complete. Nothing more is to be revealed regarding God's redemptive plan, His doings for Israel. They are all written in His Word. He's ascend, he ascended, or he sent evangelists, those that go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to people, to the masses. We we would have run out of time to speak of the evangelists that are there, uh, and pastors and teachers. We have pastors and teachers fulfilling the same office. Yes, pastors are are, are elders that lead the church, and elders are people that that take care of the church, that guard the church, that should be teachers of the Word of God. Wow. And it's all for the quimping of the body. God has done this. We need to respect God's make of His church and why He does this. God works through His church, works through His body. So again, brethren... It's getting more and more difficult to find a Bible-teaching, Christ-honoring church. But when you do, and you have a pastor that you are sitting under, and he is feeding with the Word of God, please, by all means, take care of him in prayer. Monetarily, encourage him, pray for him. 
He says in verse 17, we're getting to a, a new uh, a new section here of this chapter. And I will probably go on here for a little bit, and I will probably end because there's so much remaining from chapter, from verses 17 to verse 32 that we don't want to rush through these things. We want to just uh, expound on them. Remember, this is a series called What It Means to Be a Christian. We don't want to go quickly, too quickly through that. And the reason why that I feel that the book of Ephesians more most elaborately sets forth, which all the epistles, brethren, richly develop and richly talk about all these things, but in this particular letter, like we've talked about before, has six chapters, and yet they're broken up. The first, second, and third of our position, the fourth, fifth, and sixth of our walk and our life in that position. You know, it's been said, and it's true. We, not grow, we do not grow up in grace. We grow in grace. Excuse me, that expression. I think I had it backwards there. We grow in grace not grow up to grace. Let me say that again. A very distinctive in the Word of God. We as Christians grow in grace. We do not grow up to grace. There's a very, very divisive line that, that divides, you know, a biblical, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring fellowship monks, believers, they have the understanding that we grow in grace. By grace are you saved, and that are not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, left anyone should boast. We read about in the second chapter, remember? There's a lot of people out there today that are trying to grow up to grace. They're trying to obtain something that is freely given them and something that freely operates in their life by the Lord himself. So let's not get that confused and learn that. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind. In the futility of their mind. Wow. Wow. That explains a lot. Look at verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19 says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. Verse 20. Wow. Wow. I want next time to begin at verse 17. We'll talk. We'll go to Peter's account about walking as a Gentile, living in that light. You know, it's a course that one walks in his life. There's even there's only two courses. You know, as the, as the Lord so eloquently said, that the two roads, there's one that's broad and there's wide road. And many are on that road. And you know, brethren, there's a lot of religious people on that road. There's a lot of 
uh, quote-unquote self-proclaimed pastors. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians. There's a lot of people on that road. He says, but that road leads to destruction. It leads to death. It leads to hell. It leads to eternal separation from God. And yet the other road, he says, it's the narrow road that leads to life and fewer those that find it. The narrow road. That's what we are as Christians born again in Jesus Christ are on. The two roads. But the one looks so good. The one big road. There's so many people on there that are that look so good. You look at the people, uh, all of the major, you know, religious leaders today. You know, I could I could name them from from Joel Olsten, uh, uh, you know, down to people, uh, Joyce Meyer, to people that that have huge followings. And yet they teach doctrines that are not in the Bible. They represent a Jesus that does not speak to us in comfort and yet chastises us when we need it because he does it in love. He comes and he lives within us by the Holy Spirit and he goes through the trials with us, whether it be sickness or health. We all have major trials. We all have afflictions in this life. And yet the Lord carries us through, bless us, enriching us causing us to have all fulfillment in him. And I could go on. Beware of these people that are out there that claim to have some copyright of God, and yet they're leading thousands, if not millions, astray. They're not representing the God of the Bible who in love communicates to those that he has bought with his own blood that love him. He speaks to us, brethren, tenderly. And yet he exposes the areas in his li- in our life that are not pleasing to him. And yet he does not say, well, you know, by your own power, get rid of him. No, he exposes that so that in love and obedience we see that we are grieved. And yet by the power of the Holy Spirit that can be changed and that could be broken and the things that grieve him no longer will have power over us because there is a power by the Holy Spirit that works within us that is greater as he who is in you than he who is in the world so to end our sitting together today brethren again verse 17 this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles and the fertility of their mind. And as a Gentile was, was a non-Jew, you know, it was a way for Paul to say the other people, Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, the rest of the world, you know, we, uh, we have so little time on this earth. I pray that we would not waste it, but that we would be filled with such joy for the Word of God that we would realize that no matter what happens in this life, we know that not only God is for us, that he has us in the palm of his hand, that he desires to give us fullness of joy, and that he desires that we would walk in obedience to him. And within that context, life is complete in him. Because the Bible says we've been made complete in him. I thank you for being with me this morning as we go over the first 16 verses of uh, chapter 4. I pray that this study would find uh, your soul prospering, uh, as John said to Gaius. And I, uh, I just 
I pray that you would uh, you would look forward to these studies as I do, and that remember, God loves you. The Lord desires to speak to you through his word. Every word of God is pure, and he is a shield to those who place their trust in him. God bless you, my friends, and until next time, may the Lord be with you.